This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a very good Erev Shabbos to all of you. Wonderful to be here again and talk about the Parsha, what it means, what it means to us, what it means to understand life and living. It means basically to look into the Torah, the wisdom of God, and to try to understand how it affects our lives and how it should affect our lives. Last week we uh, ended the Parsha by, well, Isaac and Rebecca asking Yaakov to send their son, well, to send Yaakov back to uh, the house of Lavan, um, um, Rebecca's sister, to find a wife, to find someone that he can partner in life and raise a family and continue the legacy of Abraham and Isaac. It was a very troubling Parsha, a Parsha that Yaakov is constantly having to deal with, contend with the evils of Esau and the, well, the viciousness of Esau. Um, Yitzchak originally wanted to give the blessings to Esau, but through the intervention of their mother, Rebecca, she ensures that Yaakov gets the brachas because she felt that these blessings, which were going to form the future, of the people, the legacy of Abraham and Isaac, to continue that great tradition of what Abraham and Isaac stood for, changing the world for good in a good way, in a powerful way, through the medium of kindness, through the medium of exactness, she felt that this would be inappropriate for Asaph to have. He would abuse it, being an individual who was unfortunately driven by physical things, material things, violent things. And this is why through intervention, Yaakov gets the brachas and Yitzchak says yes, and may he be blessed to indicate that in fact he agrees that he should have gotten the blessings. And because of that, Esav has vowed to kill Yaakov. Yaakov lives in danger. But beside all of that, Yaakov and, um, understands that it's necessary for him to leave because there is no place for him here. He has to live constantly with the threat. Yitzchak and Rebekah, tell him to go to the brother of, of Rebecca of, to Lavan, and there he should find a wife. And so he sets off on this incredible journey, a journey which in fact, well, lasts not only a lifetime, but in fact the lifetime of the Jewish people. It's a journey which talks to us about what in fact the challenges, the developments of the Jewish people are all about. It's a journey which talks to us about understanding the darkness of life, understanding the difficulties of life, understanding the joys of life, understanding the greatness of life, understanding Jacob. Yaakov, as our sages tell us, was a Pechir Avot. He was the chosen of the patriarchs of the forefathers. Abraham was great. Isaac was great. Men of incredible spiritual development. But nonetheless, Yaakov is the one who has the incredible title of being the Bechir Sheba Avot, the one who is chosen. And the reason that he is the one who's chosen, our sages tell us, is because all his children, all his sons, remained loyal to the faith of Yaakov. Yitzchak and Abraham. They remained loyal to the faith and in fact became the heads of the tribes of the Jewish people. They became the Jewish nation. And because Yaakov had this incredible merit, there was something special about Yaakov. Yaakov had the ability not only to receive himself, 
from his father and from his grandfather, to receive blessings, to receive guidance, to receive spiritual energy from those greats, he was able to pass it on to all his children. Abraham couldn't do that. Abraham had Yishmael, who unfortunately drifted away from the values and teachings of Abraham. Yitzchak had Esav, and Esav, unfortunately as well, drifts away from the values of Yitzchak. It's only Yaakov, Yaakov who takes it and passes it on to all his children. This is why he is Pachir Sheba Avot. And we have to understand how it is that he achieves this incredible title of being the chosen of the patriarchs, what it means, and what his journeys are all about. And when we study the development stages of Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, we begin to see incredible differences. Abraham changes the world in a great way. He teaches ethical monotheism to the world. He has tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of followers. Yitzchak takes the teachings of Avraham and internalizes them. He makes them deep. He makes them powerful. He makes them applicable on every single level. But basically, they lived lives of material comfort. Yes, they had challenges, great challenges. The challenges that Avram had were extraordinary, but they were challenges that he was able to deal with from a position of spiritual strength and physical comfort, whereas Yaakov, Yaakov goes into a situation of great darkness that we'll soon explain, and we have to understand what it is about this great journey that he takes that enables him not only to survive, but to thrive, and not only to thrive, but in fact to become a father of a great nation, the one who was known as Pechir Sheba Avot, the chosen of the patriarchs. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking why it is that Jacob, of the three patriarchs, is the one who merits to be referred to, to have the incredible status of being the Pechir Sheba Avot, the chosen of the patriarchs. Abraham was great Isaac. They were both giants. They were extraordinary people. Uh, people who had proven through their behavior, through their dedication, their selflessness, their absolute devotion to God and to his values, that they were men of incredible greatness. And this is why they are patriarchs. They are the Avot. They are the fathers. And yet, it's Yaakov, the youngest. He is the one who actually receives that incredible title of Pechir Sheba Avot, the Chosen of the Fathers. And as we look at the journey of Yaakov, we take a look at what happens to him, we begin to have some insight into why this is so, and as a result we have some understanding of how we ourselves could, and therefore should, emulate some of those incredible values that Yaakov had. We take a look at the beginning of the parish, and it says as follows, Vayetze Yaakov Be'er Sheba, and Yaakov departs, he leaves the city of Be'er Sheba, Vayelech Haranam, and he goes off to Haran. And the commentaries have so much to say about this. After all, they say it's redundant. What do you mean that he left this place and he went there? He could have simply said, the Torah could have simply said, and he went to Haran. We know that he left the house of his father. We know that he left Be'er Sheba. We know that he left that incredible place of spiritual energy and greatness. Why is it necessary for us to be told that he left Be'er Sheba, Vayetze, he left Be'er Sheba, and then Vayelech, and they explain as follows. 
that there are two distinct actions taking place over here. Number one, he is leaving Be'er Sheva. This is an action by itself and onto itself, a very dramatic action, a very powerful action, a very challenging action, equally so, if not more so. Vayelech Charana, there is a determination. He goes to Charan. It's not that he simply walks along the road and he takes a journey to where his family, his mother's family lives. It's something which tells us about the focus, the vision that Yaakov had, and what, in fact, he has to accomplish in the world. First of all, Vayetzeh, Be'er Sheva. Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva. Be'er Sheva can be translated not only as a place, but metaphorically speaking, it's a term that talks about the highest spiritual values. It's a place where Yitzchak lived. It's a place where a great peace treaty was signed with Avimelech. It's a place of material and spiritual peace and comfort. It's a place of greatness. It's a place where you simply are able to draw upon the incredible holiness of that particular area, of course, it's because of Yitzchak and Rebecca. They contribute majorly to the spiritual and material comfort of that place. But Be'er Sheva symbolizes all that is good with the world, all that is right with the world. It's not a world at war. It's not a world at conflict. It's not a world of friction. It's not a world of materialism. It's not a world of hedonism. It's a world of spiritual and material comfort and ease, a place of true peace in the fullest sense of the word. And Yaakov makes a determination. He leaves this place. It's as if he's telling us something. What he's telling us is, in order for me to accomplish that which I have to do in this world, I'm going to have to, in a sense, leave this place. I'm going to have to change my character to a certain degree, my behavior to a certain degree. My ability to face up to great challenges can only be fulfilled if I am not limited by that which I have received in my father's home, and one wonders, how can this possibly be? Yitzhak is a man of incredible spiritual power and strength. What does it mean that he has to leave behind those positive and powerful elements of holiness represented by Be'er Sheva and Yitzhak? And this is precisely what he does. He says, if I am going to be connected in mind and heart and attitude to that place, I will never be able to function in the outside world. I won't be able to survive. I will be overwhelmed by the negativity, by the challenges that I will face, and I will be overcome by that negativity as well. And this is why he says I have to prepare myself. I have to, in a sense, change my focus. I have to change certain ideas and attitudes, not, God forbid, in the negative sense, but in order to receive an even greater strength and power to survive the challenges that await him. And Vayela Haran is a separate and a second action. He actually makes a determined decision that he is going to go to Haran, and Haran translated simply literally means a place of anger, a place of violence, a place... Well, a place of immorality, a place where Lovon, unfortunately, is the individual who reigns in that place. Lovon is not an honest man. Lovon is a deceiving man. Ultimately, Lovon wants to kill Yaakov. Lovon is a man who is totally, totally dishonest. Whatever he does is, in a sense, trying to trick others, to cheat others. It's a place where the exact opposite of Be'er Sheva. Be'er Sheva is a place of material and spiritual tranquility and peace. Charan is a place of anger, a place that almost seethes with great 
negativity. And Yaakov says, I have to prepare myself to enter that place, and therefore I have to somehow put upon myself a suit of spiritual armor so that I can protect myself not only to survive but to thrive and have an influence on that place as well. So we see these two separate actions right at the beginning of the Parsha. Yaakov determinedly leaves a place of great tranquility. He says, this cannot help me survive. I have to change to a certain degree. He goes into a place of great challenge or great negativity with a sense of determination and focus and purpose as well. It's these two actions that define Yaakov in the fullest sense of the word, the ability to move from great spirituality and to take that spiritual strength and to enter a place of great negativity and to use the spiritual strength that he has in order not only to survive, but to transform that place into a place where things become better. Completely better? No. Lovin still remains Lovin. The people there remain dishonest, but there is certainly a great shift in their attitude and thinking and behavior as a result of the influence of Yaakov. This is what Yaakov tells us, the Torah tells us about Yaakov right at the beginning of the Parsha. In order for us to understand his greatness, in order for us to understand what he accomplishes, it's these two actions that tell us much about his personality, the ability to leave behind a particular type of behavior and to enter a new world, not giving up on any of his principles, not in any way allowing anything negative to enter into his life, but he has a new spiritual strength which enables him to encounter, to transform, to change a very negative society. And then we go on to a very strange story, a story that I'm sure you all remember, the incredible dream of Yaakov. He dreams about a ladder, a ladder that is firmly rooted in the ground, and it's a full-runged ladder, and it reaches the very heavens itself. And this is a strange vision that he has in his dream, a ladder that goes from earth to heaven. Earth, of course, symbolizes that which is physical, material. Heaven, of course, that which symbolizes the spiritual. And here, too, we see an incredible, an incredible dimension of Yako's life, the ability to have a ladder that connects the two. They are in two separate worlds. They are one world, yes, each one having different garments, each one presenting in totally different ways. There is the heaven, which is spiritual and holy and pure, and then there's the earth, which has all sorts of negative dimensions connected with it. And Yaakov's ladder is the one that connects the two. Yaakov is the one who is able to ascend that incredible ladder and to connect the heavens, the spirituality, the pureness, the holiness of God's revelation into this physical world to transform the negativity. Yes, it is a physical world limited by time and space and all that physical stands for, but he transforms it into something which is incredible, ultimately, as we see in his own life. And this, too, is another stage, another dimension of his chosenness. And it's this four-runged ladder that our sages tell us symbolizes prayer. What is prayer? As the angels, it says, and there were angels, divine angels, ascending, going up the ladder and coming down the ladder. Why were they going up? Don't angels come down from heaven first? Because they were the angels that accompanied Yaakov, but in a deeper sense are Kabbalistic and Hasidic te- teachers tell us that this was the 
whole process of prayer. Prayer is elevation, taking oneself and raising oneself up and beyond the physical restraints of the world. The physical world is a very limited world, a limited world in time and space, a limited world in every single dimension, a limited world in God's revelation, a limited world in spirituality as well. And it takes tremendous effort. It takes tremendous effort to elevate oneself, to transform the negativity of the world, the physicality of the material world, and to turn it into something which is spiritual. And Yaakov is able to do that through his power of prayer. The power of prayer is such as that you elevate yourself. You take those dimensions, those characteristics, those elements of personality, those attributes that you possess, and you elevate them through the process of prayer. Prayer is reaching outward and upward toward godliness. And this is what Yaakov is telling us what is the first thing that he experiences as he goes along this road is this powerful vision of incredibly strong prayer. But that's not all. In fact, our sages tell us that for 12 or 14 years, he studied at the yeshiva of Shem and Eber, that before he took this journey, he went and studied for 12 or 14 years. What was that all about? Studying Torah. Torah is the great gift of God to man, that which God gives down to man. And for 12 or 14 years, he studies there. And nothing is mentioned about that in the Torah. We learn that indirectly. Our commentaries point out how we know that he studied there. So how come it is that he spent so many years in the study of Torah and no mention is made about that at all? And one night of prayer, one dimension of prayer, one, well, one 24-hour period of less period of prayer. We talk about that in such incredibly glorious detail and terms, the vision of the ladder going up from heaven, up, up, from up from earth, all the way to heaven, the four rungs, the idea of prayer, the angels ascending and descending. Why do we make such a fuss about the prayer of Yaakov, and we don't speak about the study of Yaakov. Well, one can answer and say we know about the fact that Yaakov was a man of, well, Torah study. He was Yoshif Ahalim. We already read about that. As he grew up, he spent his time in the tent, the tent symbolizing the environment of Torah study. While Asa was out hunting, while Asa was out behaving, in a questionable sort of way, Yaakov was within the tent of Torah, developing this great mind, understanding Torah at a higher and higher level. So perhaps Torah didn't feel it was necessary to emphasize that point again. But still the question remains, why is it that we speak about his prayer again in such glorious detail and make very little mention, if at all, about his Torah study along this great journey that he takes from Be'er Sheva, a place of material and spiritual tranquility, to Haran, to a place of conflict and anger. Why do we talk about prayer and we don't talk about his Torah study? And perhaps by understanding why Torah does this, and when Torah chooses to tell us only about one dimension of his personality, that of prayer, of evening prayer, at that, because he is the one who, in fact, brings Arvit, the third prayer of the day, the evening prayer, Abraham brought Shacharit, the morning prayer, Yitzchak brought Mincha, the late afternoon, the afternoon prayer, and Yaakov is the one 
who gives us Arvit, the evening prayer, by understanding his concept of prayer, his ability to pray, we begin to understand why, in fact, Torah tells us much more about his prayer than his Torah study, which was great in addition to everything else as well. And this is something that we have to understand from a deeper sense. What is the difference between prayer and Torah study? And as I mentioned before, Torah study is a gift from God to man. Yes, man has to work hard in order to understand that which he has given. But nonetheless, it is something which comes from above downward. It is something which is granted to man. It's an act of grace. It's something which God gives man as a spiritual gift. Whereas prayer, as mentioned before, is the process of elevation, of taking your character, of taking your attributes, refining them, uplifting them, developing them, causing them to become greater. In a sense, this is the process of what life is all about, to encounter the physical world, to encounter the world of great limitation, and to elevate it, to take that which is deep within, and to expose the divine which is contained within the physical Yes, of course, study of Torah develops our minds, our souls, to a tremendous degree. But basically, in a sense, it is something which is intimate and private to ourselves. Whereas prayer, prayer is the process of encountering the physical world, encountering our physical self, transforming it, refining it, and elevating it. And this is why so much time is given to the prayer of Yaakov and very little detail about his Torah study, but more of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the prayer of Jacob as well, contrasted to the Torah study of Jacob, both being great. But Torah tells us in great detail about his prayer along this incredible journey from Be'er Sheva, from a place of tranquility to Haran, to a place of conflict and friction. And the reason, of course, is because the Torah study developed Yaakov, developed Yaakov in a great way. In fact, before he takes the journey, he adds another, well, 12 or 14 years to Torah study in the great seminary, in the great halls of the yeshiva of Shem Eber. But in order for him to have an influence upon a world, particularly a world of horror, a world of conflict, a world of friction, a world which is less than ethical, a world which might be quite immoral, a world which is very hedonistic, a world which is very dishonest, he has to go to his uncle's home, Lovan. Lovan is not the most honest of people. In fact, he's an out-and-out crooked human being. Nonetheless, this is where Yaakov has to go. Yaakov understands this. And this is why the power of his prayer the strength of his character, the development of his character, taking each and every one of his attributes and making them powerful, making them great, infusing them with the incredible spiritual power of prayer. This enables him to go into the world and to deal with the world properly and correctly. Yes, of course, he's guided by Torah principles at all times. He's guided by the values of Torah. He understands the incredible value of Torah. But it's not Torah that he's going to preach these people at the outset. It's going to be the strength of his character, the strength of his ability to retain a tremendous sense of decency, of goodness, of honesty, 
in a world which is much less than that. And this is what Yaakov teaches us. Yaakov teaches us that, yes, of course, Torah study is vital to each and every single moment of our lives. But nonetheless, we have to develop our power of prayer as well. Prayer is not only coming to shul and reciting some chapters of this, that, or the other. But in actual fact, it is the whole process of the latter, the elevation, the refinement, the purification, the transformation, revealing the goodness within that which sometimes appears not to be so good, the dark within the light. And this is what Yaakov is teaching us at this particular point. And this is why he suddenly says, wow, this is a holy place, and he became frightened. And why was he frightened? Because he thought to himself, Number one, is he worthy of staying in this place, which ultimately will be the Bet HaMikdash, the house of God himself? And number two, will we have the merit and strength to strive and thrive in the new environment that he's going? Jacob is going into a world of great challenge. Jacob is going into a world of great difficulty, and it's over there that he has to develop a family. It's amazing what we are talking about. We're talking about a man who at this point in his life is penniless. Eliphaz, the son of Esau, his nephew, took everything away from him. In order to placate his father, his father said, kill Yaakov. Yaakov said, if you take everything away, our sages tell us that Ani, an impoverished person, can sometimes be considered as the one who is not alive, and therefore, in a sense, you will have fulfilled your father's command, your duty as a son. But Yaakov is now penniless, wandering through the night, going to a strange and difficult place. And he knows full well that he's going to somehow have to muster every bit of strength and power that he possesses and to continuing refining, to find those challenging moments within himself, to find those challenging moments within the world that he's going to encounter and to change things, to change things dramatically. Not only is he going to raise a family, not only is he going to well, earn a great fortune. Not only is he going to become an individual to be reckoned with in every sense of the word, but he is going to have a powerful influence on the world as well. Because even though people might not agree with him, people might not share his views, but they will certainly admire and respect his ability to live a life of goodness and decency. And this will ultimately have a profound effect upon his opponents as well in the fullness of time. This is something that we have to understand in the character of Yaakov. Jacob knows that this is not some simple type of journey that he's taking in life. This is something which is the forerunner to the journey of the Jewish people throughout history. This is what we do. We go from place to place, sometimes penniless, sometimes without anything. And we come to places and we have to somehow teach new places the value of Torah, the value of devotion to God, the value of being an individual who stands above the fray and becomes an individual whose spiritual energy and strength strength enables him to transform the physical into something which is greater, into something which is far more powerful. This is what Yaakov is teaching us. This is what Yaakov is showing us. And this is why he is Pir Sheba Avod. This is why he is the chosen. Of course, Avraham had his challenges, but still, he did what he did from a position of strength and power. Similarly, Yitzchak, Yitzchak lived in a world of spiritual holiness. But Yaakov is the one who enters into the dark world, and it's precisely there that he raises a family, a family that are all devoted to God and to godliness. It is precisely there that he makes his life 
over 20 years of tremendously hard work, retaining his ethical standards to the highest level and teaching the world correctness at the very same time. This is why Yaakov is the one who in fact becomes Pirsheba Avot. He is the one who becomes the chosen of the patriarchs because he is the individual who understands what his duty is despite the incredible challenges that he has, despite the fact that he is in a situation of great limitation. Nonetheless, within himself, he has incredible power. This is the prayer. This is the prayer of Yaakov, and this is why when he communicates with God at that particular moment, it is a moment of great prayer. What is the vision? What is the dream? What is the focus of Jacob? The focus of Jacob is the ladder, the ladder which elevates one from below upwards to become an individual of greatness and strength as well. And this is why when it comes to the place and he meets the herders, he meets the shepherds, and he says, what are you doing here in the middle of the day? Why aren't you out working? What business is it of Yaakov to tell them how to behave or what to do? But this is precisely what Yaakov does. Here he is, a penniless individual. He has arrived as a stranger in a strange land, and he tells the locals what to do and how to behave. It's not chutzpah. It's not simply standing up and judging and being judgmental. But in actual fact, he says, my friends, we live in a world, and the only way this world can survive in a good way, the only way we can survive in this world is by being devoted to the ethics and decency of God's law and God's will. And this is why honesty, honesty in every sense of the word, is a tremendous prerequisite to making sure that this world continues to be a place of blessing. He comes not only to preach, but to teach, to educate, to change, to tell the people, I'm not telling you what to do because I'm better and greater than you. I'm telling you because this is the will of God, and we are all bound by the law of God. We are all bound by that which he instructs us to do and how to behave. This is the story in the beginning of the Parsha of Yaakov. Of course, the story goes on. We're going to talk about this week after week. The story of Yaakov doesn't last one or two Parshiot. It lasts six Parshiot. And each one, we see a different dimension of Yaakov, his growth, his development, his ability to become the third patriarch and ultimately the greatest of the three, the father of the 12 tribes, the father of the Jewish people. And this is why his other name is Yisrael, which in fact is the name of the Jewish people. So when you are in shul tomorrow, listen to this story carefully. It's not only an interesting story. Of course, it's an interesting story with wonderful detail and wonderful dimensions, the dream, the exchange, the battle with, with Lavan, his ability to rise to great material wealth, raising a family, his wives, etc. It's a great story, but listen to that which is beneath the obvious and ask yourself, what is it from this particular dimension that I can learn, that I can somehow become a true child of Yaakov as well? How can I make my journey of life from a situation of blessing to a situ- into a situation of difficulty and to encounter that difficulty, to transform that difficulty and to use it not only to my benefit but to the benefit of all of creation, to God's creation. So when you're listening to the Parsha tomorrow, listen carefully and take some time to read some commentaries and take some time to talk to your family around the Shabbos table about this incredible human being known as Yaakov, the chosen of the fathers, good Shabbos.